big topics in data architecture call for big conversations. Big Ideas in App Architecture, the new podcast from Cockroach Labs, invites innovators to discuss their experiences building reliable, scalable, maintainable systems. Visit cockroachlabs.com slash stackoverflow to listen and subscribe. Make sure to use that link and let them know the podcast sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. Excited today to have a guest on. We are going to chat a bit about robotics. We're going to chat a bit about AI. And we're going to talk about where software fits into all that. So I want to say welcome back to Elliot Horowitz, the CEO and founder over at VM. Elliot, this is your third time on the podcast, maybe? Uh, I think that's right. And thanks for having me back for the third time, Ben. You got it. Your first time you're here to talk MongoDB, where you were a co-founder and the CTO. And the second time was to talk about the launch of your own company, VM. And at that time, it wasn't really out. I think we were inviting people into the beta. But now you've gone into general availability. So for folks who weren't here that first time, give us a quick refresher. What is VM all about? And now that it's out to the world, what does that mean for folks who are interested in interacting with it? So VM is all about making it easier to build machines in the real world that interact with the real world in all sorts of ways. If you ask most software engineers to work on hardware, they mm-hmm. kind of look at you funny and they're not that interested. If you ask most people about the devices in their lives that ought to be smart, whether it's anything from a coffee maker to a thermostat to a vacuum cleaner to a cat food feeder, none of them are all that smart and none of them work together in interesting ways. You know, you've got security cameras and sprinkler systems and you can't configure your sprinkler systems to turn off if your kids are playing in the backyard or depending <laughs> on your mood to turn on when they're in the backyard. You know, right. I think you might want them off or on depending on it's what you're playful, going for. Yeah. Yeah. All these things are hard. The robotic space could do so much more interesting things in terms of like, you know, anything from fixing potholes to better agriculture to better food in airports, right? No one loves the food in airports, but why can't we have fully automated kitchens in airports? And so VM is a platform to make all these things easier, right? Mm-hmm. Anything from very simple things like, you know, thermostats and smart thermostats, and smart cat food feeders, all the way up through fully automated kitchens in airports. It's a platform that is easy for hardware people to work with, that's fully extensible, easy for software people to work with, and does all the things that you need to actually go and build a product, build a business, and actually get things done. Cool. And yeah, now that we're we're GA, you know, anyone can come in. If they've got an existing product, they can start using us and you you don't have to migrate everything to VM. It's very flexible and pluggable and you can just start using it for certain things that are problems. Or if you want to go and build a brand new thing, it makes it, you know, an order of magnitude easier to go and just tinker, build something and put it out into the world. So for folks who are listening, who are not at all familiar with robotics or those who might be sort of passingly familiar, what is the tech stack here? Like if you said to me, you know, you can make all the smart devices in your home smarter, or you can even, you know, start coming up with your own inventions. And I went to the VM platform, but I need to know certain coding languages. Is this drag and drop? Does it work universally? Like, how do I enter into your ecosystem? Let's take an example. I've got a blog post on this also. So if you want to learn more, you can go read about it. I've got a cat mm-hmm. and my cat likes to eat and be fed. And sometimes I'm away for a while. Like, you know, I got a lot of work to do apparently. So I bought a, a while ago, a $60 cat food feeder and it was okay. 
and you put a bunch of food in, you know, she eats wet food and dry food. This is for dry food. And it has some fundamental problems, right? Like it's got a little tiny uh, LCD on the screen and to program it, you like press the buttons, feed her a little bit this time, at this time, at this time, but it doesn't adapt. So like if she's eating too little, it will just throw food out <laughs> and kind of cause chaos. For some reason, the time drifts in weird ways. If I want to change her schedule, I have to go in and like press all these buttons on the screen, which is kind of infuriating. Yeah. And I have no way to monitor it at all. Right. So one Saturday afternoon, me and my 11-year-old son, we basically opened it up, took out all the electronics, put in a Raspberry Pi and a Raspberry Pi hat with a motor controller and a USB webcam, which took about half an hour of unscrewing things and drilling a couple of holes and just plugging things together. And then in about 30 minutes, we were able to connect the motor on the, there's a little motor that turns a thing that makes the food come out. So connect that to VM via the Raspberry Pi. It's like, you know, with the, the hat, a couple of wires, mm-hmm. uh, connect the USB webcam. And then so immediately, I was then able to see her food bowl from anywhere in the world. I could turn the motor to feed her. And then we were also then able to start capturing images from this camera that we put on there use VM to train an ML model to determine whether the state of the bowl, whether it's empty, has a little bit of food or is full, and then wrote about 30 lines of Python logic to determine if and when she should get fed. Mm. And so it has like caps, like, hey, we can feed her only this much per day because otherwise she'll just keep eating, you know, pace it out through the day. If there's food in the bowl, don't put more in the bowl. It's nice because it's, you know, everything about VM is flexible, including languages, right? So you can use any language, right? Whether it's Python or Go or C++ or, or Flutter, right? You can build mobile apps really easily and do this all on mobile if you want. It's completely flexible. It's all built on sort of modern standard tools like gRPC and WebRTC. And you can go build real things. You know, this took an hour. You know, I kept tweaking the Python code to make it right. a little bit smarter. So maybe, you know, a couple hours in total. And that was a couple months ago. And, you know, it feeds my cat. It's fed my cat every day for the last two months. It's robust. But what about your cat? Can your cat control this? I mean, did you think about the agency there at all? Can it decide if it's, it's a little more, a little less? We thought about it a lot. So far, we've decided <laughs> she has no agency. Because okay. if she had agency, we think she would do bad things. Uh-huh. There's another guy in my office who's taking mine and extending it because he's got three cats who've got different diets and he's going to you know, do something a little bit smarter. But um, you know, we thought about like you know playing games with her. I've also want to build a cat training robot that follows my cat around and if she misbehaves, you know, like squirts her with water or something. Yeah. feels a little mean. So yeah. we haven't done that one yet, but it's on the docket. And so to answer your question, right, it's very easy just to like do anything like this. You know, I, I've done this for a security camera at my house. I've ripped out my sprinkler system at my house because I was annoyed that it kept watering my lawn while it was raining outside. And I was like, well, that seems wasteful. So it's all these things. And um, I do not have a hardware background. Mm-hmm. I have people at VM who have taught me things, but I do not have a hardware background. And, you know, we're trying to make it easy. And we're trying to make it easy for a hardware person and a software person to right. really do almost anything. So you're sort of a robot maximalist here. You think they should be, you know, improving airports and fixing potholes. You know, listening to this, I'm very intimidated, right? Like I would love to fix up some of the stuff in my home, but not try to be able to do it as sort of a non-coder. What's the response been like in terms of building, you know, cohort of early users and a, and a community so far? Yeah. So we've got a, a very nice cohort of early users and a community and everything on the machine, like on the machine that we write is open source. You can mm-hmm. do whatever you want. We also have this thing called the registry that we'll we can talk about more a little bit later, which is how other people can extend the platform for different motors and cameras or algorithms that is also 
starting to build a nice ecosystem around it so people can share code, share drivers, share algorithms in, in interesting ways. And then we're starting to get sort of bigger companies starting to use us for various things also because we solve problems that, that they have. You know, and I think a lot of people are like you, intimidated by playing with hardware and things like this, including, you know, we have 10 to 20%, maybe 25% of our engineers at VM are either sort of very heavy robotics backgrounds or hardware backgrounds, right. robotics PhDs, or have a lot of, you know, robotics experience or device experience. The other 75% are quote unquote generic software engineers. Mm -hmm. And almost every one of them, when they were interviewing, was like, I don't know anything about hardware. Like, how could I do this? And I'm like, we're sort of like, that's the point. Right. And we actually want you to be working on this because we want you to build a system that you want to use and that you could use. Right. And we need the robotics PhDs to make sure we're you know, getting everything right in some ways. But we want it to be like, hey, you know some Python code, you can plug some wires in, you can follow a tutorial, cool, you can go do this stuff. Right, right, right. And there are 30 million software engineers in the world, right? Most of them sound exactly like you. They're like, that sounds intimidating. Mm -hmm. One of our goals is to, to really change that. Cool. And so, you know, you said you have this platform that allows you to come with, you know, sort of backgrounds across multiple coding languages. You have this registry, which we should talk about in a second, that's going to make it extensible. On the hardware side itself, are you involved there at all? Like, do you sell parts or kits or, you know, I guess through a tutorial, what I know what to get? Like, let's say I wanted to, you know, fix something up at home or build a sprinkler that moves around. Like, do you work with other folks to let people know how to get the hardware or that part is where you sort of step back? So first and foremost, we are almost entirely hardware agnostic. Mm -hmm. You know, we will work on Raspberry Pis, on NVIDIA Jetsons, on Intel boards, on Mac laptops. Like, we'll work on anything. And we want to work with any kind of camera, any kind of motor, any kind of arm. Like, we don't care. We think there's a lot of great people working on hardware, and we want to support all of it. For our tutorials, and we have a lot of, like, tutorials on our website, for those, we'll give a shopping list mm -hmm. and be like, hey, here's what you should buy. Uh, you right. can obviously do whatever you want and tweak it and change it, but, like, we'll give you, hey, here's, like, 10 things to buy, and then you can go build this. Nice. We do think it's important for people who don't have hardware lying around, who've never played with a robot that can move, for example, to be able to experience what that is and experience the platform very easily. Mm -hmm. So to do that, we've done two things, actually. One is on our website, you can actually go and take over a robot in our office. Uh, you just <laughs> go over, take it over for free. You can drive it. It's got a little octagon that you can play in. And you can just go take it over. You can just play with it on our website. There's like tools. You can just drive it around. Or you can then go write code against it and try out the whole platform. Nice. In addition, we wanted there to be a pretty robust, pretty cheap kit for people to get a robot that can move around. We couldn't find anything on the market that we liked, so we just built one. It's something you could buy from our website. It's 99 bucks. You buy your own computer. It's, you know, basically we're selling it at cost just as a way for people to start playing with things. It's not our business. It is not what we want to be doing. But, you know, sure. if there are things that we can do in the hardware space to make it easier for people, we'll probably do it. But um, mostly we are entirely hardware agnostic. So you mentioned the registry and how that would allow other folks to sort of bring in some of their ideas, you know, maybe expand the ecosystem. So can you explain in just a little more detail how the modular registry works? So as a step back, everything in VM is pluggable. Right, so there are components. There's like a motor component. There's a camera component. Those are pluggable, mm -hmm. including like mobile robots, right? And there's an API for those things. Everything's pluggable there. Same on the algorithm side. So computer vision, 
mapping and navigation. All of these things are their APIs. We have default implementations that you can think of as sort of textbook implementations right. or wrapping existing open source implementations. Mm-hmm. We think there is going to be both a lot of hardware that needs to be supported that we're not going to be able to write the drivers for and a lot of innovation in these spaces. So every one of those things is pluggable, right? Whether it's building machine learning models, running machine learning models, everything's pluggable. So you've always been able to sort of write a plugin. But once you write a plugin, okay, now how do you, how do you distribute it? How do you make it easy for other VM users to consume that in their you know, machines and their robots? Right. And so the registry lets anyone who, you know, you write a module, you can open source it or make it closed source or make it commercial. And we'll actually enable monetization for things if you want in that space. Okay. You write a module, say you open source it, then you, you can publish it on GitHub, then you can add it to the registry. And once you add it to the registry, it means that any VM user can just put it in their configuration and say, cool, I want to use you know Ben's Slam module, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use version 3 or the latest stable version, and then automatically it is deployed to their machine. We'll manage the deployment, we'll do these things, and you could do things like, hey, I want Ben's Slam module to be deployed on all of the robots in my fleet. You could do right. that in a template, and all these things just kind of work. Right, so it's a way to make it really easy for people to share code, share things. And we're really, again, everything that we write that goes onto your devices is open source. Mm-hmm. Your code, other modules can be closed. We're not opinionated about what you do there. Mm. But all of our stuff is open source, so it's very easy to contribute, very easy to work with, very easy to understand, very safe, very easy to vet the, all the security primitives. I guess from that, you know, it sounds like what you would want, as you mentioned, is like as new hardware comes online and you say you're not going to write the driver for everything would be to have individuals, but also, you know, maybe research labs or collectives and then companies, you know, contributing to this so that, you know, as you said, there can be kind of this universal place where anybody who's getting into robotics can connect all the different pieces they want. So I saw another announcement was that you're now have a, a partnership of sorts with NVIDIA. Can you talk us through that a little bit, how that came to be? And yeah, I mean, like, what is ultimately the goal there of working with them? Yep. So NVIDIA is interesting. You know, they got into the space via the, the GPU market, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously a lot of things in the, the true robotic space are using GPUs for machine learning inference. And obviously right. the NVIDIA GPUs are very good at that. And so NVIDIA has a, a line of single board computers and chips, NVIDIA Jetsons. You know, you can think of Raspberry Pi as a, a cheaper entry point into the single board computer space. And the NVIDIA mm-hmm. Jetsons have a, you know, actually a very wide range of price points. And those are generally pretty nice because they've got a pretty high end and certainly some of them have very high end GPUs embedded. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is make it really easy that if you want to deploy models to those things, right, we abstract away sort of how you do the model inference. Mm-hmm. So whether you're running on, on any kind of device, you can run the models. And then it just so happens that on a Jetson with their GPUs, a lot of models are going to run considerably better. <laughs> Because they've got really good GPUs and they're very fast. And so they want people to use their devices and they've got great devices for it. And we want people to be able to deploy models and build models really easily and get them out into devices that can be made smarter with them. Right. Uh, and so it's a it's a great partnership with them. And we can do very cool stuff together. And we're just making it very easy to sort of have a life cycle or a product that gets smarter and smarter over time. Nice. So yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that got me super excited over the last few months was the reveal from folks uh, in sort of the R&D department at Alphabet or Google that they had started layering large language models onto robotics as a way to interact with them and give them, you know, commands about the real world. So 
you know, we've all been talking about ChatGPT and large language models. They have this incredible ability to speak with you in natural language and then also to some degree to reason through things and, you know, have some some sort of metacognitive abilities. So they use that approach with these robots and suddenly they could say, you know, pick out the extinct animal off of this table full of all kinds of things and it grabs the dinosaur. They'd say, recently, you know, can you put the apple between the bowl and the cup and, you know, it nails it in a way that it didn't before, you know, these techniques were used. Give me your thoughts on on what's going on here. Is there something that, you know, is coming down the pipe in terms of combining the incredible capabilities of today's LLMs with robotics? And, you know, where do you think that is headed? So it already works. We've actually got some fun demos with uh, ChatGPT and VM where you can have your robot talk to you via ChatGPT or control the robot via <laughs> ChatGPT. So all these things are actually pretty easy. Yeah. And I do think they're relatively important. If you've got a device in your house, let's take smart home, right? There's obviously a lot of different aspects to, to what we do, but if we take smart home as an example, how do you want to interact with your coffee maker, with your thermostat, with, you know, you've got a lot of devices in your house that you probably have apps for. Right. I know for me, I've got 15 different apps that are like for different things in my house. And it's kind of a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, you know, the power of some of these models and where I think a lot of things would go is you just want to talk to them, right? Mm. You want to talk to your coffee maker and say, turn on and make me coffee. And I think you turn the lights on and off. That's how you want to interact with the machines. And if you're in a factory setting, the last thing you want to be able to do is sort of working next to, you know, it doesn't have to be a humanoid robot, it could be like a little device that's following you around and be like, cool, like I'm stopping or follow up or, you know, slow down. And, you know, having to have an iPad out with a little screen on it, it's not a great way to sort of interact with things in your environment. Right, totally. And so I think the combination of being able to build better devices and making them smarter while also sort of helping the human interaction side via large language models and speech Mm -hmm. is a very big deal and will help sort of move the space even faster. Right. So you've mentioned a couple of things where it's like you have this smart device and you want to make it smarter. You know, it knows when your cat needs to eat or how not to give too much food. It would be great, right, to talk to my coffee maker and say, tomorrow morning at, you know, seven, start brewing coffee and I'm having guests. So make a, you know, a full pot instead of half like we usually do. You know, that would be sort of revelatory. If I could do that, I would be very excited. But another thing that occurs to me is that like what we've always all been, you know, sort of yearning for is the, you know, Rosie the robot who I can speak to in that way and is, you know, sort of multimodal, like could make me coffee, could clean the house, could feed the cat, you know, whatever it is that I'm in the mood for. From your perspective, obviously now you're getting deep into the world of robotics. To what degree is that still sort of a far off pipe dream? I have seen, you know, Boston Dynamics has that, you know, robot. There was a video of it, you know, washing dishes and loading them into the dishwasher and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, to what degree are we still basically, I think you're describing like manipulating and extending the capabilities of smart home objects, occasionally making them mobile versus having, you know, a a sort of fully functional robotic assistant that in its ability to interact with the world is more similar to ChatGPT in its ability to interact conversationally, right? I mean, that's what blows us away about ChatGPT. You could go in any direction and it's sort of able to handle things. Obviously, it makes mistakes. Where are we on that trajectory of the Rosie the Robot fantasy? My personal opinion is that Rosie is a bit away. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I don't think it matters too much for VM from a business standpoint. And I think there's a lot of other things, but I think we're a bit away away from that, both on the software side and on the price point side. Mm -hmm. You know, I think right now, I think there'd be a very price prohibitive and and not nearly as good as you want. But I think there's so many ways you can sort of make smaller incremental progress and actually solve interesting things. Mm. Like having the devices be able to communicate in a more easy way, having 
one way for you to view all the apps. And then you can start getting a little bit smarter, you know, right. in, in little interesting ways. Like take fridges. You know, people have been sort of joking about smart fridges for a while. Like, what do you really want a smart fridge to do? Well, I know what I want a smart fridge to do, which is I want cameras inside of my fridge. And I want little tiny cameras inside of pantries. So if I'm at home and I'm going to make dinner that night, I can look and see live what is in my fridge. Right. You know, and then figure out what I need to, to pick up on the way home. Now, the cool thing about that is you can start then training a custom model, right? If you have the right platform, a custom model for your fridge, so your fridge could know what's in your house. But you don't need that to start. You don't need to have that product built because that's a complicated thing to build. And I don't know how accurate that's going to be in the short term. But a human with the live data view can actually seriously improve like their experience making food right. and do these things while collecting the data you need to actually build the really smart product. So eventually you're like, cool, hey, I'm going to make meatloaf for dinner and the chat GPT is going to go look in your fridge and be like, cool, I need to order these things and Instacart it for you and it's going to be magic. I think that's a ways off, yeah. but I think we can actually solve real problems today that make people's lives a little bit more convenient while working towards those goals. Mm -hmm. And same with kitchen, right? I don't think Rosie is going to make you dinner anytime soon, right. but I think you could have a robotic sous chef. I think you yeah. could have an arm that lives in your kitchen that helps you chop vegetables, that stirs certain dishes, that monitors the temperature and adjusts the temperature right. of a sauce while stirring it, right? So that you can multitask more easily, right? There's a lot of ways you can sort of slowly move into things before you get rosy. Very cool. Is there anything we didn't discuss that you want to touch on in particular? Look, the thing I would encourage people to do, especially, you know, I think a lot of people listening here are, you know, software engineers who, you know, like you said at the beginning, are potentially a little intimidated yep. or don't know where to start with hardware. And what I would say is, you know, just try. Think about something in your day-to-day -day life that is like, you know what, I've always wanted to solve that problem. I know I can do a good job. I, I you, A lot of software engineers can sort of see the software solution for a problem mm -hmm. in their life. And then it's like making the sensors and the actuators sort of come to life is this sort of like magic black box that they're scared of. And I want to encourage them to, you know, look at what we have and then just reach out, reach out to me, reach out to us, join us on Discord and just ask. Sweet. You know, we've got a lot of people here, including me, who love helping people go from some cool idea that they want to do at their house or their business or whatever, and then figuring out how to make it come to life. Ask and try. It's not as bad as you think. All right. If you listen to this and you got motivated to try to step over that line that you've been afraid of and work on some robotics, you can email Elliot directly. He's ready to go. I'm ready. I love email. All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow with a little curiosity or knowledge and helped to share it around the community. A great question badge awarded to Matt L. How to remove all contents of a directory using Golang. It's a great question, Matt. You've helped over 94,000 people who had that same question. So we really appreciate you coming on, asking that, and in doing so, spreading a little knowledge around the Stack Overflow community. If you want to get in touch with me, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. Find me on X or Twitter, as I used to call it, at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you have any questions or suggestions, email us or leave a rating and a review for the show because it really helps. I'm Elliot Horowitz, CEO and founder at VM. If you want to check out VM, just go to vm.com and there's a lot of resources there. You can find me on Twitter, X, Instagram, LinkedIn. You just email me, elliot at vm.com. It's easy to guess. Most people do. Yeah, ask questions, find me, and let's chat. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.